Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Paranormal. I'm your host, Marie Adaranti, and I am alone for this Halloween episode of Paranormal. Thank you for stopping by. Uh, Before we start, I just wanted to give a really quick shout out to two people that contacted me again, um, Kelly from Instagram, uh, from San Ramon, California, and Chrissy contacted me on Twitter from Chicago. So thank you guys so much for listening to my show. Obviously, it means the world to me. I can't get enough of people telling me how much they enjoy listening to my podcast. Today's episode, I've got a few stories that I'm going to go over. The first story actually came from a lady named Leanne who lives in my hometown. I had uh, reached out to another podcasting group that I'm a part of on Facebook. Uh, It's the My Favorite Murder podcast group. And um, I had just said, you know, I really wanted to do an episode where I kind of had some hometowns haunting stories. And she was one of the people that wrote back. Her story was really good. So I'm going to share hers. And then I've got uh, one coming up that's kind of an old time famous haunting. It was something really, really cool that I had found online about a ghost that solves her own murder. So like my two favorite things, true crime and ghost shit. I can't wait to tell you guys this story. It is so cool. And then uh, I have my mother-in-law's story, which is not a ghost story, but is still extremely terrifying and paranormal. And this story scares the shit out of me. Every time I go up to their house, I think about it and I don't sleep. So it's great. It's really fine. Um, All right. So Leanne, she uh, lives in Hamilton where I live and she wrote in to me and she told me, uh, I used to work at Grapes and Things, which became Joe Badinsky's and is currently sitting empty. So for those who don't know, Joe Badinsky's is like a bar. It was once a very popular night spot that featured evening stage shows, singing, vaudeville, etc. back in the 50s. I was working what we called Blue Monday back in the early 90s. We would play alternative music and sold cans of blue beer for $2. The staff would take their tips and buy a bunch before the tills cashed out, put them on ice, and then sit around late into the night and morning socializing. It was a slow night, so there would usually be a DJ, a bartender, a server, a cook, and me, the hostess. The bar was on the second floor with the dance floor. The bathrooms were up the back stairs on the third floor. The hostess desk was on the first floor and the kitchen and main dining area were on a basement. It was more like a half floor down. At the south end of the bar was a tabletop Lady Pac-Man game that we sometimes just played or sat at. The wall beside it was exposed brick. There were broken bricks and a large patch job. It was there because that was where a body had been exhumed decades before. A director had gotten his young lead actress pregnant and killed her to get rid of his problem. He'd bricked her up in the wall at that spot. I want to hear more about that story so badly. Just a side note. Okay. On this particular Monday night, we had all set aside beer as usual. We were all sitting around chatting, listening to music and drinking our beer. Most of the lights were out. The DJ, a woman and I were sitting talking quietly. The cook was in the DJ booth playing some somber Joy Division. Very cool. The bartender and the server were sitting at the north end of the bar talking quietly. Overall, the atmosphere was low-key. 
I got up after a couple cans of beer and went to the bathroom. I climbed up the back stairs to the top floor, went into a stall, sat down, and listened to the hubbub of the staff party downstairs. I just love that word, hubbub. I remember feeling really happy that I was with my work family, people I really liked, hanging out comfortably and enjoying ourselves. I mean, like a quick aside, that's such a such a rare treat because like I don't like a lot of people. So when I'm around people that I really enjoy that make me just like genuinely happy, just such a comforting experience. I enjoyed a feeling of belonging and I could hear the noise of us through the floor and the heating vents. So many voices laughing and talking loudly over the music. Dozens of people laughing and talking loudly over swing music. I stepped out of the stall, washed my hands, dried them, stepped out through the door and realized I couldn't hear a thing. My stomach flipped. What the hell had I heard? I looked in the manager's office, which was just down the hall from the bathrooms, and no one was there. It was silent. No one was in the men's room. I walked back downstairs, and everyone was pretty much in the same place I left them. Joy Division was playing on the speakers. The cook was rifling through the crate of vinyl looking for what to play next. The DJ was behind the bar getting herself a glass of Coke. The bartender and the server were still sitting, talking in whispers to each other. The bar was otherwise empty, dim, and quiet. I have no idea why I heard what I did, but I heard it. I was not drunk, and more than 20 years later, I still have no logical explanation for why I heard the noise that I did in that bathroom. The only explanation I have is ghosts. Leanne, thank you so much for writing in. That story is so creepy and cool. I love it. It was so good. I just love the idea of like swing dancing ghosts still hanging around in the old bar. All right. So uh, the next one that I have here is a story that I found online while I was just kind of reading articles. And this is probably one of the coolest uh, old timey ghost stories that I've ever read. So um, buckle in. So in January 1897, Edward Shu had sent his neighbor's son to see if his wife of three months, Elva, needed anything from the market. When the boy walked into their home, he saw Elva light, lifeless at the bottom of the stairs. The boy ran to tell his mother, who called the local doctor and coroner, George Knapp. Knapp took around an hour to arrive. Uh, by the time he got there, Edward had already arrived home and was carrying his wife's had already carried his wife's body to the bedroom. He had washed and dressed her and he had her laid on the bed. So the whole time that Knapp, the doctor slash coroner, was examining Alva's body, uh, Edward, her husband, had her head cradled in his hands while he wept. And any time that Knapp would try to get near her head or neck to examine her further, her husband would become really, really agitated, not wanting to upset Edward and not really finding anything of concern or suspect on Elva's other body parts. Knapp, who had actually been previously treating Elva as his doctor before her death, uh, he left and he deemed the cause of her death as an everlasting faint. And then he changed it to complications from pregnancy. At Elva's burial, Edward was acting very strangely and erratically. He was constantly fiddling with Elva's head and neck, uh, and he had buried her in a dress with a very high collar that hid her neck and had covered her head, or sorry, with with a dress that, with a high collar that hid her neck and 
he covered her head and neck with a scarf. Uh, And apparently, from what I read, the scarf did not match her dress, but he was claiming that it was her favorite scarf and she wouldn't want to be buried without it. Um, Guests thought that it was strange, but they just chalked it up to a grieving widower. Everybody chalked it up to a grieving widower except for Mary Jane Heaster, who was Elva's mother. She had a suspicion that Edward had something to do with her daughter's death. Heaster had claimed that her daughter had appeared to her in her dreams four nights in a row to tell the true story of how she died. Her ghost told her mother that her husband was abusive to her and had killed her by breaking her neck in a fit of rage when he thought she had made uh, no meat for his dinner. So super, totally normal reaction to have. Her ghost then turned, I'm being sarcastic. Her ghost, this is the best part. (laughs) Her ghost then turned her head 180 degrees and walked away from her mother while still staring back at her. So her head was still backwards, and as she walked away, she was staring at her mom. Uh, Heaster then went to the prosecutor. His name was John Preston, and she had asked him to reopen the case. Her story was convincing enough to cause Preston to start asking questions around the town. Uh, Neighbors and friends told Preston uh, about Edward's weird behavior, and uh, when Preston spoke to Knapp, the coroner slash doctor, Knapp admitted that his examination was never completed. This was enough for Preston to order a complete autopsy, and Elva's body was exhumed. Upon re-examination of her body, Knapp confirmed that the cause of death was not natural, and it appeared that her neck had indeed been broken. This evidence, along with the testimony of Edward's strange behavior, was enough to warrant a trial against him for the murder of his wife. This part is super cool. So during the trial, Heaster was allowed to testify. Her story of her ghostly dreams was enough to convince the jury that Edward was guilty. So she told her ghost dream story, and it was so convincing that the jury actually convinced or actually convicted Edward of murder. Some call this case the only known case in which testimony from a ghost helped convict a murderer, which appears on a plaque that celebrates Elva Shue. So I thought that was the coolest fucking story I ever heard. Um, Just incredible. Uh, and then I guess my next go-to is going to be my mother-in-law's alien story. And for those who don't know, aliens are my number one fear. Like I'm more afraid of aliens than I am of ghosts. I'm absolutely terrified to be abducted by them. When I was younger, like my mother and father had to like take me to a head doctor because I literally would not sleep for days at a time because I was so afraid that aliens were coming to abduct me. And that irrational fear, or maybe rational, depending on who I'm talking to or who's listening, um, stemmed from a really great story that I'll quickly tell you just because there's no one here to to discuss these things with me um, stems from a very vivid memory that I have of my older brother sitting in my parents' basement watching TV on like this big screen TV that we had. It was huge. It was like the size of a wall. I came downstairs. I was young. I was like maybe like eight or nine 
And I had come downstairs, he was watching television, and I asked him, what are you watching? And he was like, it's a show about aliens, and if you don't watch it, you're a baby. So I was like, fuck that, I'm not a fucking baby. So I sat with him, I watched the show with him, I've regretted it every day since, because the show was about people who had been abducted by aliens, it was like um, like a... Uh, like a oh my god why can't I think of the word like a true like in like a true story type thing so it was like interviews with people who had been abducted and their stories about their abductions and this one girl said her, they amputated her finger and another one said you know they had attacked her like just the most terrifying thing for a child to ever hear and I was so impressionable and honestly I was so gullible when I was a kid I believed everything that I heard so I truly truly like believed these stories were real I mean they very well could be who fucking knows but back then it was just terrifying to me um at that point in time in my life too my sister and I had bunk beds and I made my parents take the bunk beds down because my older brother told me that since I was on the top bunk, it was easier for aliens to abduct me. So I made them dismantle the bunk beds and we, we moved to two twin beds in that bedroom. <laughs> so that's where my irrational fear of aliens abducting me stems from, um, which is why it makes this story so scary to me. So this is a story my mother-in-law told me. They had a cottage. I want to say it was in the Madawaska Valley. So in, and it's in Ontario. It's really remote. Like my husband describes it literally as like a cottage in the woods. You would have to drive like 10 to 20 minutes to your closest neighbor. There is no one around. Uh, her, her husband and their dog uh, were up there. And her dog, their dog was a bigger dog. He was... Um, like a, oh my God, I don't even remember what they're called now, but he was a bigger dog, wiry. He looked like the dog from Fraggle Rock, but like bigger. And um, his name was Riley. Riley uh, was not sleeping in their room with them that night. Uh, they had a spare room. There was a bunk bed in the spare room and the bunk bed did not have ladder. It did not have a ladder. It did not have stairs. Um, it was a really tall bunk bed and you basically had to climb up Um the headboard or the footboard to get and like kind of hoist yourself up, kind of swing yourself over it to get up into the top bunk. So that is what um, the kids used to do. And in fact, my, my husband was so little at the time, they would have to pick him up to put him up on the top bed. Like he could not get himself up there. So to give you an idea. So in the middle of the night, my mother-in-law woke up and she said her room just looked like there was this red glowing light cast over the entire room. So she thought maybe it was just her eyes. She decided she was going to um, rub her eyes, try to rub the red out of her eyes, I guess. So she's rubbing her eyes, opening them, rubbing her eyes, opening them. And she realizes this is not going away. Like this is not her eyes this is actually happening so she's wide awake at that point and terrified so she pulls the covers over her head and just stays awake all night she doesn't hear any noises but she stays awake until it's light outside and she's comfortable taking the covers off to see that this red light is no longer there when her husband and her got up, she told him what had happened the night before, and he was convinced she was just dreaming, but she told him, like, I'm telling you, I was awake. I've been awake all night. 
I didn't wake up from a dream. Like I've been awake all night. I woke up to the red light and I stayed awake under the covers. Um, They then went out to get the dog to feed the dog and they couldn't find the dog anywhere. So they keep looking for him, looking for him. They can't find him. And finally they hear him crying and they hear it coming from the spare bedroom with the bunk beds. They open the door, they walk in and their dog is sitting on the top bunk, scared shitless. They have no idea how he got on the top bunk because there's no way the dog would have been able to have jumped up there. There's no ladder or stairs for it to climb. They don't know how he got up there. So the only explanation was aliens. And that is the most terrifying story um, that my mother-in-law has ever told me because they still live in a very remote area. Their neighbors are closer than a 10 minute or 20 minute drive away. So it's not as scary, but every night I think of that story and I'm just so fucking terrified because I can't even sleep. (laughs) And those are my stories. Thank you so much for listening to Paranormal. I wish I had had a guest for the Halloween episode, but I understand everybody that I know is definitely um, too busy partying or handing out candy or they're tired from the weekend of partying and I totally get it. I believe tonight I'm going to also be recording an episode of Boys Don't Like Funny Girls with Chrissy and Libby who were on my podcast last week. So you should definitely check that podcast out. It is one of my favorite podcasts. I'm not just saying that because they are my friends. They actually make me laugh so hard every time I listen to it. It honestly makes me feel like I'm sitting down, hanging out with them. Um, I just, I, I fucking love that podcast. Like if anybody asks me for recommendations, that's definitely one that I recommend. If you like girl talk, pop culture, celebrity gossip, Uh, that is one of my guilty pleasures. You'll definitely love Boys Don't Like Funny Girls. You should absolutely check them out. They're on iTunes. They're on SoundCloud. They're on the podcast app. Definitely check them out. For me, thank you so much for tuning into my tiny little podcast that could again. I'm like overwhelmed by all these people that keep sending me messages from different parts of the United States and Canada. I haven't got anyone um, farther away than that, but just it means the world to me that people actually listen to this. It's so cool. Thank you so much. Like I've there's nothing that makes me happier than somebody that reaches out to me to say, you're doing a great job. I love your podcast. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for all the kind words. That being said, please rate, review, subscribe the podcast. It helps me get up the, um, charts. So if you could please, please, please rate, review, subscribe. And then, uh, as I move up the charts, it's more likely that other people will find the podcast and listen to it. You can follow me on Twitter or Instagram. My handle is at Splendora underscore. I tweet and talk about my dog a lot. So if you guys like dogs, I mean, obviously you should follow me. Okay, well, thanks for tuning into Paranormal. Maybe I'll talk to you guys next week, maybe in two weeks. I honestly don't know what my life looks like right now. Um, and I can't wait to do my next episode. Thanks. Bye.